You're very welcome back to the Locker Room Podcast. We've got episode number 59. Uh, today we're going to speak about completing a PhD. We've got Ross Bennett, Head of Performance here, and Dr. Jamie Talent. Just before we introduce the lads, just want to give a shout out to our sponsors, RIPT. So RIPT is a software platform built for performance and organizations with easy-to-use programming tools and training load, well-being, and nutrition monitoring via the RIPT app. All the coaching tools are in one place for you. Streamlining your coaching, making it more accessible for your clients and athletes, and providing you with insights you need to optimize performance. To find out more, head over to www.ript.app, that's R-Y-P-T, and use the code LOCKERROOM, all one word, capital letters, LOCKERROOM, to get your two-month free trial. Alternatively, go over to dailysportscience.com forward slash pod, and you'll get all the information there. Okay, Ross, you don't need any um, introduction, but uh, Dr. Jamie Talent, you're very welcome onto the show. Um, I have to let listeners know that you're part of my supervisory team for my own PhD. Um, we're not going to speak about my PhD, thankfully, but we just want to have a discussion about people applying for PhDs, what, what's uh, some advice for people like that, and also what makes a good PhD researcher and some of the skills that a good researcher will learn. So, Jamie, you're very welcome onto the show. Thanks for having me. Um, okay, do you want to start, Jamie? Just give give us, because I think it's really interesting and it kind of links in well with the conversation. Just give us a little bit of a background to your career, because it's not your uh, sometimes traditional lecture pathway of just doing your degree, master's and PhD all in one university and, and just staying in the academic world. It's quite interesting to see the crossover with the, the applied world as well. Yeah, so so the first thing I think I'd say is that like I I think at like school and college like I wasn't very like academic, so the working into like a PhD I think was a surprise like for me like as much as a as a lot of my school teachers uh, actually as well. But where I started was like similar to everyone else is that had that love for sport and wasn't ever like good enough like to make it in like various like different sports. So I went to like St Mary's to do a degree in sports science. Uh, Again, like purely because I enjoyed like actually like playing sport, I wasn't really sure what sports science I like, actually like, was as well. And my first two years probably I like, drifted like quite a lot, like kind of wasn't sure of my purpose of like actually like, being there. And then in my third year, started to get an idea of the like, different industries that like there was around um, sports science because uh, at that time strength condition like actually it wasn't a thing it wasn't about it was it was very much sports science so I did my I finished my like degree and then I did my uh, a master's there as well and then during like my master's degree was the first time I kind of had exposure to sport which probably sounds like a bit like weird now because we encourage students to almost like embed as much as possible like uh, within sport so I um did an internship alongside my masters at like Watford like football club, which was my first kind of exposure. And then everything I'd learned, not everything I'd learned, but what I'd learned at like, at like university was sometimes very different to what actually happened inside that like applied like world as well. So, so I kind of like thought to myself, like at that point, I wanted to be a like applied like, a practitioner so I had like my master's degree after I finished had a year's worth of experience 
And I thought anyone like would actually like employ me, but you soon realize very quickly that even back then, everyone's got a like master's degree. Everyone had like a bit of experience. So I actually then was a bit lost. So I went out to like uh, America and just coached like football uh, out there for like eight months. Um, had a lot of fun out there, I would say like more. So it wasn't like I was going out there to coach per se, I was just having a bit of like life experience, but actually like, from from looking back that coaching experience where I was coaching any anyone from five years old up to like 89 years old actually was a really good kind of like uh underpinning for me from standing in front of people actually like uh, in like lecturing to like coaching people for, for 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 what I did a bit further on while I was out there my um supervisor for my master's Glenn Howardson, who was who's obviously your supervisor at work as well, said, uh, "Why don't you go and spend some time with like Mao, who works at the uh, like American Institute of Sports of, of Sports Medicine in like Manhattan?" So I thought, okay, I'll go and spend like uh, six weeks with him. So I saved up like some money for uh, I see what this like research like, is about. Um, I had a, a flat, uh, well, a flat at the worst apartment, like just off Times Square where I stayed in for like six weeks. I didn't have virtually uh, any money, but I traveled every day up to the hospital, uh, actually where his, his lab uh, was based and just learned some like research like techniques. So after that point, after six weeks, I came like, back to England and I think um, Glenn Mao had spoken and said, uh, I'd done an okay job like while I was out there. So, I wasn't sure at this point like whether one wanted to go into academia or actually going to applied uh, a practice. But um, Glenn said, do you fancy coming to like Northumbria to possibly do a PhD, but to do some like research up there? So I moved to like, like Newcastle like in a week with like Jack returning home from America. That transpired into a PhD, into a very like, mechanistic PhD as well. Um, but during that whole time up there, uh, I coached. So I spent like my days doing the academic work on like a mechanistic PhD, like looking at how people adapt, but used to kind of coach uh, various kind of like university teams, various good standard kind of like rugby league teams, um, um, a rugby league team like up there as well. And so I had very much post PhD, like both sides had quite, quite an equal kind of like split in. So I still had this bug that I wanted to work in like elite sport and in, in actually in a professional sport. So I applied for uh, a strength conditioning role with like Derbyshire a Cricket Club. Spent five years then working in um, elite sport. And then I wanted to flip flip flop back over to academia. So I thought I've kind of had enough of like traveling around of like hotel rooms of, I don't know, like, like spending too much time away. So I thought I'll go back into academia now. So then a job came up at like uh, St. Mary's uh, in a, a SSC like lecturer, apart for that role, like I got that role. And then I think since being at St. Mary's, I found my like balance. So I get my buzz, so to speak, with like working with like yourself, like working with like, uh, actually with Ross, like visiting these, these places, having an impact from a research point of view, but then almost like being able to step out on like a Friday, if you know what I mean, where it doesn't yeah. kind of like uh, uh, drag in. And now I'm up at Essex where, um, yeah, it's a very like mixed role with 
research working with like different like organizations yeah whilst also like working um yeah whilst also like teaching uh actually as well so i'd say i've kind of for now found my happy place like <laughs> where i'm content with uh working very good very good uh, I, actually i didn't know about the american trip that that you were on yeah. and you were coaching and stuff that's really cool so actually dur- during your phd like you were coaching a lot and getting lots of applied experience and stuff like that as well because like one of the sometimes negative of people doing a phd when they just go the traditional route in the university is they come out like mechanistically you know uh, very hot and smart and lots of like a handle on all the the academic information and all but not much kind of practical experience of of coaching really yeah, yeah. So, so I think it started. So, like Ross will always claim he guided me through my like UK SCA, and he uses that like actually every single time as well. So, I think like coming out with a sports science like degree, I kind of I wasn't sure if I wanted to be a sports scientist, but I wanted to uh, to coach. So, I kind of Ross did like help me through that because he's come out with the SNC kind of like masters like degree. So, I almost like transitioned myself into an SNC coach. But, but but I enjoyed that like interaction with people like so up at like Northumbria I I I I loved my PhD up there had an, mm. an amazing time and as like you know it's a really good like university as well yeah but but I still as an academic always wanted to I don't use the word like credibility but you know what I mean mm. as well in the sense that to understand both sides yeah. of in terms of what practitioners like want I, I kind of had to get like my hands dirty so yeah. I had to kind of like so I was working with like Gates of Thunder who, who are now at like Newcastle like Thunder like actually traveling to games what does that prep look like because it was important to me as a researcher to understand that I might have this wonderful idea but in like reality that ultimately like isn't like going to work as well so yeah, yeah it was it was very much I'd say I've got a I know like a reasonably okay like a coaching like background and that's just from like rather than just being inside like the lab the whole time which which some people enjoy but I I definitely wanted that balance yeah do you you want to briefly just mention because I think it's quite interesting the different clubs organizations sport that you were kind of linked in with because I think when you're a younger sports scientist or SNC coach you look on lectures as they're there to teach you know, to le- to teach me sports science and to do the lecturing hours, whereas in reality, that obviously is a big part of any lecturer's job, but a massive part is getting out there and doing research in industry. And I think you're a really good example of that, that you're you're involved in lots of different sports and organisations. Yeah, so, so I would say like now, like if I speak to the students, the students perceive me very much as like a lecturer. So I have to almost like get people like Ross, people like yourself in, to say this is what it's like actually like in applied practice so I can say as much as like I've done this this and this but I'm I'm very much like a perceived there but the 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 organizations I guess that I, I show to students that we're like embedded in is like the Royal Ballet so so we've had two PhD students go there I know nothing about why well, I didn't know anything about ballet like like uh, uh, whatsoever and I'm I'm obviously like not like a dancer but that has been such an incredible organization like to be part of that they have similar questions to sport that actually they like want answered so we've 
we've looked at that kind of training load and our injury risk with two exceptional like PhD students like working there. I work quite closely with like the ECB. So some of the papers we've had out like recently, uh, identifying the like, demands of like international like cricket as well. We've just had one that's going to recently be published around the changing like profile. So I work, I would say like, reasonably closely like with the staff there to help to answer some of those questions. I'm also part of your like supervision team at like QPR in the sense where uh you have questions that you answer and you want answered and we can uh, support that process and answer them and probably the other main one is uh, luke woodhouse is working with the rfu so his his data is on like the women's rfu um kind of like um i guess like physical like demands like physical changes in the like, women's like that rugby union team as well so that's the so here like now as a lecturer we well i kind of believe in that research led like teaching so, yeah. so actually for me those like collaborations to show students like like this is how uh, academia can have an influence and positive i guess impact on practices so it is yeah. quite important to have those links i guess yeah and I, I think students probably like undergraduate students and all probably love information about clubs and and real life practices and and research links and stuff like that rather than just the the theory being put up on slides you, you you're speaking about real world kind of performance questions being yeah. attempting to to answer yeah and and so so for me like the way i come and teach like so i'm still a like big like believer in those under under underpinning like a physiological like, mechanisms of students are under actually actually understanding them but I think context is like really important. So if we're, we're talking about like aerobic like metabolism, putting that in context of like a marathon runner is actually, is actually really important uh, to me, explaining like, like, like to, uh, to students, the, the context I think helps to understand. So if we've got these working examples and we're talking about the kind of hardcore like physiology, some actually linking in some of the, the research that, that we're doing and how it fits I'd argue, well, I think gets a little bit more like buy-in, but also keeps students like probably like, engaged for that uh, extended like period of time. Yeah, definitely. Ross, just without kind of, I suppose, going into the details of QPR's collaboration with Northumbria University, but just, just like in general, I think it's interesting that these kind of collaborative doctoral training programs now are starting to spring up in like professional football clubs like uh, Liverpool and Man United seem to have kind of long-standing relationships with um, Liverpool, John Moore's university, especially, especially and Arsenal seem to be uh, doing it as well and along with other clubs. But like just some of the benefits of such a kind of programme from the club's point of view and also like your own experience of how you kind of develop that collaboration in the first place. Yeah, sure, kids. Well, I think it's important and something that we've really gained like valuable uh, experience with someone like JT and your supervisory team coming into us is that it actually keeps you on your toes a little bit from, from a scientific perspective. Um, too many times you hear coaches, well, that's not going to work in the applied world or things are different in the applied world, which it is, context is key, but you have to remember we're still scientists and if we're not practicing correct principles and, and underpinning physiology and, and stuff like that, then we're not really doing a good job. So to test what we're doing and to question what we're doing and to get real answers, like you said, to those performance questions, that's the key thing for us. 
we had we had certain structures in place that we'd had in there for a long time and, and we felt yeah. like we was getting good results but actually we wanted to test that and see well can we make it better are we getting the results that we want to get and you know especially within the monitoring side of things and can we be better can we improve and and having people like jt and and, and your team really question that and, and help you improve your standards so i think that that's really important but what i would say is that i think it's it is it, it's important for clubs to make sure they they pick the right question and they pick the right team like i felt that, that you know you going up to northumbria and especially with jt who suggested the thing he understands sport very well he understands the context very very well so that was going to be a perfect blend for us he, the research wasn't going to be pushed down a down a route for just an academic purpose it yeah. was going to come back to the sport so i think it's important that you pick you pick wisely and you don't just do it for the sake of, of having a high profile student there and and just generating research it has to benefit the club has yeah. to benefit yourself and your processes yeah definitely jt do you want to just mention about and i'm sure i have some ideas as well of like the benefits and drawbacks of such a kind of an embedded in a sporting club um doctoral training and mm -hmm. and and also like i suppose some people may not know the difference between a professional doctorate a kind of traditional phd journey and then this kind of new I don't know, would you call it kind of hybrid model where, where you, you're linked with the university but embedded in the in the sports club? Yeah, so like just just very briefly, like I just so like these like professional like doctorates that are uh, are creeping up is it they probably like reflect the like, American like model like slightly more. So they're all like level eight qualifications. So a like level six qualification, like being your undergrad, a like, level seven, like being your masters, and then like a level eight uh, being your kind of like uh, PhD like prof doc like a level so like a prof doc has a, a teaching like component like to it so you might do like a few like modules first of all answer a few essay questions presentations or like whatever that is and then it will go into like a couple of like research like projects that, that afterwards as well so it's got a slightly different stunt a PhD which obviously like you're doing Kieran there's probably depending on the size of each study something like like five to like three studies that are formulated under, I guess, an overarching thing to answer like a question uh, uh, actually as well. And these these like hybrid like these hybrid like models, they're they're obviously still like a PhD, but the student like a lot of the time is now uh, actually based inside those like clubs. And I think uh, I think well for me like the benefit, the main like benefit there is that. Um, it keeps the question on point, uh, which is what it is actually important. So if it's starting to like actually like drift and the academics are like all like um, we want to go off, like maybe in a slight like different, like, not slight, like different a direction, but it starts to like evolve as every PhD like, like does mm. like Ross on like your team and yourself because you're like embedded there it's it's kind of almost like actually actually no like this is the question like we want answered but uh, this is how it's going to input our like practices and that's uh, it keeps it true like i think sometimes and it and it making sure that it's having a, a like impact so the 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 reason why we like, do research is to um improve practice improve like could be improved like player welfare improve like performance so the practitioners that are on the ground and like those are the ones uh, that are guiding it and i think another i guess 
a good part of it is often like universities will like match fund these like actually actually PhDs as well. So they, which I think is really nice. So like Northumbria have done it, like Essex have like recently like done it here as well with, with actually, and it shows that you're like in it like together, like sometimes. So actually that you're getting someone that's embedded like within like your club, um, that's, um, that someone who's like developing there like within your club got a strong supervisory team like actually like around it so i think it's a really good like model mm. but but i do agree with ross that like as long as that question is something that the organization really wants answered if it's just the sake of having a student there and there isn't that driving force from both the academic side and actually like the club that's often sometimes when a student can like drift and yeah. like not really actually so so it's, it, it kind of works if there's that case and then like the other thing that qpr have been outstanding with is that like making sure that you can break down like barriers in terms of like run um uh, experimental work or something that's outside of like a norm there as well like when we first said we wanted to use like a peripheral stim like everyone's like like well like academy footballers like actually like, electrically like stimulating them as well but that we've like broke down that a barrier because we felt yeah. that the question we wanted to answer around kind of like central and like peripheral changes was actually worth it as well yeah. so 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 i think it's important to kind of um uh it's important it's right but if it is yeah. right it can be like really like beneficial yeah so if, if you don't have the knowing as a, a researcher myself in the club if you don't have the backing of the club right throughout the program like you're going to constantly hit these walls you know and they really need to to buy into the program i i think the fu the funding model is great actually so so for for anybody who doesn't know the university will cover the costs of the program throughout the three three year program um and then the the organization or the club and university then will match each other's funding uh, for the students kind of stipend with expenses and stuff like that so it it works quite well so something that i think a drawback of an embedded phd kind of uh, training yeah. program is just that you lack that kind of daily yeah. interaction with other researchers you know or being able to just pop to the office of the, the your supervisor or lecturer and say listen i don't quite understand this or what do you think about this idea and and even as much as as that like your phd student alex from saint mary's has come and helped me with some of the testing in qpr and i've always really enjoyed that because mm. he's in the same boat as i've i've been and we can bounce ideas off each other and just some of you know the worries we have or, or also explaining to each other different like statistical mm. approaches or, or stuff like that so i i think that's that that's a definite drawback but obviously like access to players access to participants um being at kind of the cutting edge of real life kind of practical mm -hmm. questions is a real benefit because, you know, sometimes academics can have like really great theoretical ideas, but then you come to a club and they'll go, well, actually, logistically, we can't do that because we have to train at 10, 30 in the morning, you know, so it can be, it, it can fall, a, re, a really, really interesting research question could fall down purely on a kind of logistical point. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when you're not embedded in a club, you, you, you nearly don't realize that, you know? Yeah, I think as well, like, so your, your point you make, the one thing that 
I think in these like models we've got to try and improve is to create that like support like network. So like mm. for, for me as a PhD student, <clears throat> I had people inside like my office where I could exactly what you said, bounce ideas off and often solve problems quite quite quickly. Because if I was in my yeah, first right. year, you'd have a third year PhD student and all like actually ready to go through that process. Yeah. So I think as because this is a relatively like new like model, I say I say like relatively new. I know um like other places have have probably done it for slightly longer but i still think that like support the, the, that network is something where long term we do have to have a, a look at and think how can whether that's the student coming to the that organization like slightly more or actually yeah. um like like zoom or that however we handle that but i think it's a really good point to try yeah. to move this forward I I think the universities, the, the online kind of doctoral training, um, professional development and research uh, um, kind of help and all, has it, it can be great though, you know, so you can log into different webinars about using EndNote or qualitative research methods or whatever it is. I think they're really beneficial. Uh, the, the other like interesting point for people who don't know that as a PhD student and a researcher, you normally have a supervision team of about four people. And in my own case, you've got somebody who's embedded in the in the sports club, as in Ross. You've got your yourself who's got lots of experience in the applied world and the ac academic world. You've got uh, I've got another academic then, so so Dr. Kevin Thomas um, from the university, and then the principal supervi supervisor is kind of like the Don, so Professor Glyn Houts, and so he, he's the guy who like can access the funds, can, you know, make sure everything is ticking along as it should on time, you're doing your annual progressions, you're preparing for that, preparing for Viva, um, makes all the kind of ultimate, ultimate decisions you know, for the doctoral training program. So that's that's really how it works. Um, Ross, just from the club's point of view, then, like from your own, but also in general for all clubs who kind of do such a training program, what are some of the benefits then, you know, from the club's point of view of having a PhD researcher in, embedded into the setup? Sure, just quickly on one of your points here, you said about like logistically sometimes being problematic for clubs and probably a reason why they don't engage in the process. But I think, I think it's people in, in my job's role to influence people above them if something's worth it. Because if you're working with an under-18 team, who says they have to train at half 10? They're not supporting the first team. It, it yeah. doesn't. So pushing training back for 45 minutes on certain testing weeks in the grand scheme of things is not a problem. So yeah. if, you, if you think something's really worth it and it's going to change the, the, the structure or the um, historical structure that you normally do things in an organisation, then I think it's up to you to really influence academy directors, technical directors, academy yeah. managers. And that's your job. So, um, yeah. yeah, just an interesting point. That I think we, we shut things off in football because, well, that's yeah. not how it's been done. And that's the way yeah, it's important that you challenge that as well. Yeah, the, Dr. Robin Thorpe, who was with Manchester United first team for, for about 10 years. So with his PhD, he did an awful lot of testing with the under 23 team or under 21 team and then used that data and those, you know, um, insights and everything then to apply it to the first team so even though most of the testing wasn't completed on the first team he used the academy set up the 18s the 21s and, and kind of applied the research answers then to to the first team so yeah all true sure. Well, I guess the benefits are, are similar to what you guys are saying. You get somebody in, in you essentially get a full-time staff member for, for match funding. So half, you know, half, yeah. half of 
half of a, a full-time wage essentially but you get someone in the ground like looking after something that other staff haven't got time to do so like you're you know look at the way we've worked your role not only is your phd like at the forefront but also the the, the data and the visualization model and how we set up the monitoring processes and you're able to really delve into stuff like that so you get this kind of this uh, developing academic with a really strong academic team around him start or her starting to really challenge things that go on in the club and inform best practice so yeah. I, th I think it's really valuable and like i said it keeps people on their toes so if you're doing a certain recovery protocol or you're doing a certain strength training program or certain aerobic fitness work well actually you might have someone there that challenges what you're doing and says well you know actually you know physiologically that doesn't that's not the best practice so should yeah. we look at this so i think it, it's just all around trying to improve standards all around really driving the science behind the program um and, and also you, you're getting your questions answered as well. So long-term, you know, the, the questions we want answered, we're going to get a much better um, process of monitoring and, and, and stuff that's going to come not only at our club, hopefully, but impact the wider research. So I think the benefits are huge. Um, just, just like I said before, I think it just has to be the right, the right project, has to be with the right people. And like, for example, we felt you was the right person to do this project. Um, and we felt that JT and, the, and Glenn and all the supervisor team were perfect fit for us. So that's why we invested so much. But when your project finishes, it doesn't mean that we're going to just carry on a new one for the sake of it. So yeah. we, we have to pick it wisely. And it might be in four years time that there's another question to be answered wherever we are. So yeah. You, yeah. you might re-engage in the process. Yeah. Do you know the interesting thing as well is that you start off with like, okay, we're going to answer these questions <laughs> at the beginning. And then all of a sudden it narrows and narrows and it obviously has to become very specific then. And, and you know, across the three to five studies, as Jamie says, you can answer a slightly different question, you know, in each of the studies and build a kind of an overall picture, which is, is really interesting. I think Ross as well, the other thing is, uh, is worth mentioning is that you do have somebody for three, three to four to five years who's like committed into the club then, you know, and that they have their own pathway and like it, they're, okay, the money you earn mightn't be amazing, but you've got your own specific pathway and you're not worried as much then about, okay, what's going on, you know, in the club in, in certain aspects that you're focused on completing this PhD and answering all these performance questions. And in return, the club have like a, it should be, as you say, a good practitioner with a strong research background who's going to be with you then for at least three three years, three seasons, and, and you can get some some really good answers from that. So I think that's quite important as well. Yeah, no, very important. Look, I'm a big, big believer in stability. And if you want to create like a really like world-class program, which is what we try and advocate and, and real strong department, you have to have people in the department for a, a certain period of time. Yeah. Like I've been in QPR for eight years now. I'm not saying people have to stay there for that long, but the, the, yeah. the, long, the longer you have a core group of people in the department, the stronger you can develop. If things are being overturned and new people coming in all the time, then you, you, you're kind of starting from scratch a little bit with new practitioners. And of course, you need to freshen things up. So I, th I think that's important. You get a three-year period where you can really develop things, but you've got to maximize that time because the PhD takes up so much energy yeah. that you need to maximize other little projects that are going on, how best to use the, the supervisory team, how best to use yourself in that situation. What can you get out of the experience, not just yeah. the project? How can you develop in certain areas? So I think it's really important that the three years, because it will go so quick. I mean, you yeah. look out, we're in the last year already. So yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm still waiting for, for the first paper to come out. So <laughs> things, 
things can go fast. can go really fast. So you have to maximize. Listen, I'm not going to say who the associate editor is, but I'm just waiting for him each day to, to look over the stuff, pass it off, and get it published. JT. <laughs> but but Ross jokes. He makes a good point. I think it's like managing expectations as well in terms of that is actually important because I think how long that paper papers take. I think like mm. seeing that process i think people realize that it's like uh, multiple drafts actually well even before that like collecting <laughs> yeah. the data yeah. learning the like, techniques uh, writing up the paper like analyzing like the data uh, sending it around like multiple different supervisors signing off by the people at like qpr sending it off to like review having your yeah. comments back that is a long that is a long process i think yeah it's always important to like, manage those like expectations in terms of the the yeah. outputs and then answering the questions you want isn't going to happen overnight yeah it's going to take a little bit of time to get to that point yeah that's a good point but i think one of the drawbacks jay and, and kids about doing it in the applied world is actually like your time you, you the time you'd have in the academic world to dedicate to getting the papers out and for doing all of the stuff that jp said is more because when you're in the club you're getting drawn into little little meetings you're getting drawn into department stuff you're, you're, yeah. you've got other little things on the side so even if you don't have any other responsibilities apart from the phd you're still drawn into the day-to-day -day stuff of the yeah. club there might be interest going outside watching a game for example or little things whereas if you're at the university nine to five you are cracking on with with work getting stuff churned out it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a lot easier to be distracted in the applied world so you have to really really yeah. be clever with your time i think yeah yeah it's interesting actually uh, professor glynn he said to me at one point that there's times in your phd you you just need time to think you know to make sure that you're going in the right direction and to study you're answering the questions that you want to answer and everything like that so it's, it's quite interesting jamie it depends it depends on what type of study i read some studies that probably take about two weeks to write up i reckon with, with very little not not any of yours but maybe about like hypertrophy or strength or something like that so they don't take long um it, it's a good way of linking in jimmy just about you touched on a couple of things there which are quite interesting for people i think about this level eight skills so first of all what what does that mean and also what are some of the skills that that the, the practitioner the, sorry the researcher are is supposed to pick up at least yeah so 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 i think i think also like we perceive this this level eight qualification as a very academic a qualification that's maybe largely like actually rele largely like relevant in a university setting mm -hmm. but even like uh, you become a specialist in a certain area actually don't you? so your public so, so we take yours in terms of football and like fatigue so you're becoming ultimately a specialist in like a football and fatigue so the PhD or like the level eight um, qualification allows you that purpose, allows you that like that journey to really home in, uh, to really hone in on a on a like specific area, and like really own that area and to and to understand it uh, as well as like say a hundred people inside like the world. Like if you know what I mean, there's very few people that are arguably like going to understand that that specific area better than you in terms of that as well so i think it gives you that opportunity to create a specialist i think it i think it's well i know it teaches teaches very good like uh, critical uh, skills so you become a very good like critical thinker 
so so even for yourself um i'm sure you won't mind uh, me saying that kieran but your 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 process on like speaking to you and being like critical so that like, we mentioned for example like assessing like central like fatigue and like peripheral fatigue and your kind of your perception around like what like fatigue is has completely like actually actually change and i see sometimes how how like, you communicate that to academics now is very different to how like you communicate that to kind of a practitioner so you're understanding that and, and that critical thinking like actually like, around that is very good yeah. and i think like particularly in the sports science like related phds the handling like data i i'm convinced it mm. definitely adds to that the the scrutiny the kind of handling of data and yeah. understanding like what like, meaningful changes understanding actually what's happening so and then the 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 very last thing is like even uh, whether we've uh, what, whatever level of like practitioner we are we still turn to the like, literature like for answers like don't we? we we obviously have our own experiences we have our own kind of like um uh, uh, views on how things like actually like, should like be done but i think um uh i think it gives you a greater a, a better understanding of of how to interpret a literature like why that paper yeah, uh, is a really good like level of like evidence to base uh, your like decision on, or why a paper probably isn't the best uh, yeah. actually evidence like to base it on. And I think that that three year journey throughout the PhD, I think in the long run does help you like uh, and make uh, better informed like decisions like based on the current scientific like literature. Yeah, I, I think it. Uh, as an example, I, I, I read a paper and, and it'll be about neuromuscular function or neuromuscular uh, uh, derived fatigue. And the, 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 the test will be the counter movement jump. And straight, and straight away, I'll think to myself, well, that actually, that's not necessarily indicative of neuromuscular fatigue. You know, there can be different jump strategies being used and, and lots of different things like that. So I, I, I heard one um, lecturer who was saying that when they get a scientific article that they'll, they'll read the abstract and then they go straight to the methodology and just have a look at, okay, well, what, what tests were used, what statistical approaches, and then he'll make a decision then on whether that paper is worth actually reading the rest of it, which is quite an interesting way of doing that, I think. And I know um, who you're talking about there, <laughs> that actually like, actually in the sense that you're, that, that person's like judging whether they think that that piece of information is worthy mm. of actually like interpreting there as well. And it's a, and, and this, uh, that individual like um takes on a lot of like level eight like uh, students like as well and i think it's a fair comment and a yeah prove it, i do yeah yeah about uh, barry drust yeah he's one of yeah, the good ones yeah. yeah exactly um but i mean from my own experience what i found was that there's so many different things that you're doing for the first time uh, it, it, like your learning curve is massive. You're so far outside your comfort zone. Like my learning curve has been like extremely steep. And then it's just beginning to kind of level off a little bit now at this stage in my, in my third year. But you're just, you, everything you're doing is nearly for the first time or, or maybe, okay, you've done some of it in your undergraduate or your master's, but doing, doing it in your PhD is different because you've often done with me where I come, with a question to you and saying, okay, how do you do this statistical approach? You'll give me a tiny bit of information and say, okay, well, off you go and 
read about it and try it and come back to me then. And then a week later, or a couple of days later, I'll come back and say, okay, actually, you know, I, I think I know the right way to do it now or the right way to, to run the stats and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, you, you're, you're constantly being pushed outside your comfort zone and then you're, you're, you're learning all the time. Okay, um, Ross, just really briefly then before we finish up, any, any thoughts around like the, the kind of future of the research in, in football or in organisations now? Are, are, are we going to see more and more of these kind of embedded PhD researchers in, in organisations, do you think? Um, it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. I think we will. I think we will see more. I think it's important to, to understand where the, the, the person and the people that are doing these PhDs, where, where they're going to go and where they're developing. I know we've had discussions about yourself, Kiers, and where you fit into like all high performance organizations. And I think the biggest thing is I think you're going to have people like yourself, whether, whether doing a PhD or whether coming at it from a different angle with a different skill set, to question the department and set processes up. Um, I think someone, someone to come in around like innovation, research, have a look at, take care of big chunks of data, streamline info. I think there's going to be benefits to, to embedding those into, into a high performance sport. So I think it's, it's really important that the person doing the PhD, if you're interested in it, you might not, you might not fall into the bracket of being an applied practitioner. That might not be your skill set, but you've developed these skills to really be critical around certain, uh, certain things. So you can really start to add value to organizations without being employed as a SNC coach, sports science head of performance. And yeah. I think that's something that wherever I go next and in, in, in my current role, I will be searching for somebody to be in that role and to really look at things behind the scenes, who's got time to, to process and challenge and, and make sure that your, your structures and your processes are really rigorous. Um, so that, that's where I see things going from, from my perspective. Um, and I'm sure them sort of roles will start to crop up more and more and there'll be more critical thinking and, and, and stuff, yeah. stuff in the organizations. Yeah, I, I think the time thing is massive, isn't it? And just having that like headspace even to take the time and look at the questions and, and look at the methodology and the testing that we're doing in the club and, you know, how things can be improved because when you're a sports scientist with a particular squad on a daily basis, as you know better than anyone, like there's so many different things you have to do, your individual programs, your getting ready for the warm-up, the fitness work, the, you know, talking to the coaches, helping out with the coaching on the pitch. And there's so many different different things, getting ready for the next match, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that it's very hard to kind of take a step back and say, reassess everything. Okay, is this the right way to actually do things? Um, so that's quite an interesting one. Jamie, ju just to finish off, I know you've touched on some of the things already, but just any particular advice for people applying for a PhD? Um, and then also just what are some of the qualities to, of, a, of a good researcher that, in your experience that people need to have? Well, Jamie, on mute. I knew I'd do that once. Uh, <laughs> You've you, you done well to get that far, mate. It was almost a clean cut, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> Nearly. Okay, hold on, hold on. We just okay. Whenever you want, you just start in a few seconds. You can't take that out. <laughs> yeah, everything's fine. Um, um, in terms of like, yeah, I, I, um, in terms of advice, like actually, actually, uh, like applying for a PhD, I think, um, like putting together a clean up 
a cleanup proposal that's asking, that's answering like the question, I think. So various different, I guess, like organizations will have um, uh, like different processes. But um, I think just understanding that like, like a question, that clear question uh, that you want like answered uh, as well. Um, and then like, what was the second part? To your question, I'm sorry. Yeah, just as regards to some of the, the qualities, let's say, of a good researcher then, somebody yeah. completing a PhD programme. No, yeah, so the, the biggest thing for me, like you say, is, and the the thing I've spoke really positively about like you to other people, uh, actually is to make sure that the data you collect is as clean and as accurate actually as possible, because... The rest of your team can help like with everything else, and, and they can help with like actually actually data collection. But as long as you've got good clean data to like good quality data to work with for a PhD, I think that's like the biggest battle as well because they 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 the actual like writing's like a journey, isn't it? And the yeah. first part of it, you're like lean on your your PhD team more, and then. And then, like towards like the end, you'll start to be able to write like more freely, start to uh, come up with like your own questions. But that kind of like yeah. process, um, that that making sure that when you do like collect your data, and again, like a, a, a credit like to yourselves, like those players were like familiarised so much that when they came into their <laughs> testing, that like they knew exactly what they were doing, and like, and like we were getting a really true like response, and. Uh, that's so important and something that when we like, look at your data, we can be sure that there's, there's well, we can be pretty sure there's no like familiarization, a familiarization effect or like, anything yeah. like that. So yeah, that's probably like the biggest thing I'd, I'd say take away from your PhD. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Okay. Just, just on that, I think that's important in general that any data yeah. you're collecting in the club, I know we talk about it a lot, that the processes have to be rigorous because you're, you're sending feedback to coaches, to senior management, and if, if your collection is, is shoddy, then the stuff you're sending back isn't accurate, isn't true. So I think that's yeah. really important. And, and I think that's something you drove quite good in terms of standards around fitness testing, training reports, all these sort of things. That yeah. it's really important that you make sure things are rigorous and and you and you, you make sure the data is is clean and yeah. on. And if there's an, an anomaly, then you know you have to look at it and remove it. You can't just leave it in. So um yeah, yeah I think that's really important. Yeah, definitely. Well, if you're looking looking to gain insight from the data, you have to make sure that the data is true and and rigorously, you know, uh, got from the players and everything. I, I think the last thing to mention as well, definitely, is having a really good supervision team is so important it's yeah. like it really is incredibly important and like you know jamie the amount of conversations we've had over the last couple of years just talking through things and and even a lot of it it can be just you know having <laughs> having another person to talk about your worries about do you have enough time are you going to gather the data you're writing everything like that you know you need somebody or a number of people to really lean on and and i think that principal supervisor as well that position is is really really important that person just to guide you along through you know just on that as well like glenn always said to me as well you have to start like liking each other like the, the starting <laughs> point is you have to like each other start off because at some point you'll probably won't like, like each other for a short like period of time so, yeah. like that starting point has to be um to a yeah. to, to actually a, a, a reasonable standard because the relationship not drastically like, like a change yeah. there's 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 
there's like with any working environment, there could be frustrations like along the way. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He he put the boot into me after nine months, the first nine months. And he said, "Listen, are you are you going to do this thing or not? What's going on?" <laughs> yes, I, th- I, th- I think it's fair to say though, like JT in particular has probably gone above and beyond what a normal yeah. supervisor w- would do. You know, he's always on call. He's he's, he's helped you. Uh, all the team has helped you, but. JT has been huge, and it's good that he mentioned that I single-handedly got him to pass his UKFCA, so I'll, I'll, I'll take that credit. Yeah, but Ross, on the, on the Football Fitness Federation podcast, I think I said Jamie's my hero or superhero or something like that, so... No, you picked him up a bit, yeah. I, I did, I did. No, no, right. Yeah, okay, right, that's that, Dave. We should just put that there as well, because I... Uh, um, I knew Ross would come back with that. I saw him smile as soon as I said it. That it's on record. I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't going to mention it. So yeah, it's all come through to my mind. You mention it. <laughs> Ross, Ross, you've got two UK SCA accreditations. Then. <laughs> <laughs> Double whammy. Not, not bad, huh? Not bad. <laughs> not bad. Okay, great stuff. Okay, thanks, lads, very much. Um, thanks again to our sponsors, Ripped. So, www.ripped.app. Make sure you head over to the website and see their stuff. Um, alternatively, go on to dailysportscience.com forward slash pod, and you'll see all the information and two months free membership there with, with the RIP guys. Uh, Ross, and especially uh, Dr. Jamie, thank you very much for coming on, and um, we'll speak to you soon. Cheers, kids. Thanks, Joe.